On October 20, sorry, on October 1, 2015, a professor and eight students at a community college in Roseburg, Oregon, were, were shot. And this uh, tragic incident raised questions in the, the American press about, well, gun laws and so on. And those who at the time were seeking their party's presidential nomination were asked about this tragic situation. Among them, uh, Donald Trump and uh, Jeb Bush. And they both said, well, you know, it's difficult to know what to say about such a situation when such horrible things happen. But look, you know, these things happen. In May 2014, there was a coal mining disaster in Turkey in which more than 300 coal miners were killed. The Turkish Prime Minister gave an address to the Turkish nation when he was under pressure because of the safety record in uh, the Turkish mines. And in the address to the nation, the Turkish Prime Minister said, well, you know, these things happen. Now, those sorts of responses are not simply the product of modern political spin, spin doctors. For come with me to the court of uh, King David in Jerusalem, round about the year 980 BC. And here we meet King David, monarch of the United Kingdom of Israel and Judah, and supreme commander of the Israelite army. He receives an emissary from his general, Joab. The message is urgent concerning the current military campaign against the kingdom of Ammon. The news is devastating. Briefly, the Israelite army, together with the cream of its commandos, had besieged the, the Ammonite capital of Rabah. And yet from an army and a general renowned for their military guile and uh, sophisticated military strategy, the incomprehensible had happened. <clears throat> because rather than seeking out the weakest point in the enemy defenses, Joab had thrown the best of his troops into the worst of the fighting, including the national hero, Uriah, the Hittite. They hadn't stood a chance. And Uriah, survivor of many a tough campaign, was killed. Arranging a state funeral for Uriah is going to be the least of David's worries, or so you would think. But listen to David's response when he hears about the death of Uriah in 2 Samuel 11 and verse 25. David said to the messenger, thus shall you say to Joab, do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. Do not let this matter displease you. In other words, 
these things happen. I mean, is that all he can say? No indignation, no summoning of Joab back to court to give an account of himself, no promise of a public inquiry, just these things happen. So, taking our cue from David, therefore, let's spend a little time in discovering how these things did happen. Well, they happened like this. Verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. At the time of year then when kings go out. Now, the actual Hebrew text here doesn't say to battle. It just simply says, at the time of year when kings go out. So at the time of year when kings go out, King David stays in. In bed, that is. Verse 2. It happened... Late one afternoon, when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. So late, late one afternoon, David finally gets out of bed. But don't worry, he'll soon be back in it. Because he has just seen Bathsheba and she is beautiful. The same keen eyesight that sent that rock thudding into Goliath's forehead picked out Bathsheba beyond the city wall. Now how far do you think that might be? A hundred yards? 125 yards maybe? Yet even at that distance David knew that she was beautiful, worthy of his majesty. Now, to be honest with you, with my eyesight, at that distance, I couldn't tell you whether it was male or female, fish or fowl, but David has the trained eye of a connoisseur, and that eye has passed over so many beautiful women in his life. Women like Michal and Ahinoam and Marka and Haggith and Eglah and Abital and Abigail, they'd all been David's women, as numerous as the sheep he once used to herd. Well, after all, he was king. And as Henry Kissinger once said, the greatest aphrodisiac is power. But as David stands there on the top of his palace looking at the gorgeous Bathsheba, we should perhaps remind ourselves that he is 47. He is 47 years old. He is no adolescent struggling to control his hormones. He's 47 years old. And surely, we say to ourselves, the experience, the wisdom of middle age is going to kick in soon and common sense prevail. 
but unfortunately, David has every gift needed except self-control when it's really needed. And so, he springs into action. He sees her, inquires about her, gets her. What happens here is no accident. What happens, happens because David wants it to happen. There's no doubt about who's in control here. You notice in verse 11, David sent Joab and everyone with him. And then in verse 3, David sent and inquired about the woman. Verse 4, David sent messengers and took her. That's why these things happen. These things happen because David sends and orders and organizes and decides. David controls everything. Or rather, he controls everything around him and nothing within him. That's why these things happen. They happen despite the fact that he knows she's a married woman. They happen despite the fact that he knows her husband is a national hero. And they happen despite the fact that we all know what's going to happen. And it does. And having seen David send this, send that, and send the other, Bathsheba then sends the uh, turns the tables in verse 5, where we read that Bathsheba sent and told David, I'm pregnant. Yes, these things happen. And of course, sometimes they do, let's be honest. Sometimes things do just happen. Uh, such as the time when I preached a sermon on Nicodemus. And throughout the entire sermon, from beginning to end, I called the fellow Zacchaeus. <laughs> to the complete consternation and bewilderment of the entire congregation. And afterwards, as I stood at the door, shaking hands with the saints afterwards, the head elder came up to me, put his arm around me and said, look, don't worry, these things happen. <laughs> but uh, we are in a different league here. We're in a different league here with David, Bathsheba and Uriah. This is a crisis and David knows it's a crisis and he knows he's got to act decisively. So just as at the beginning, where he sent this and sent that and sent the other, David is still in control. Verse 6. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent Uriah to David. Now, here we say to ourselves, here is a golden opportunity for David to nip this whole problem in the bud. Surely he's calling Uriah home, calling Uriah back to Jerusalem. He's going to sit Uriah down and he's going to have a man-to-man -man chat with Uriah. We say to ourselves, that's surely what he's going to do. He's going to sit Uriah down and he's going to say, now, um, <laughs> great to see you, Uriah. Um, uh, now, look... Um, Look, uh, I'm sorry, old chap, but look, we're, we're both men of the world. Look, these things happen. And um, let me assure you that your wife did not encourage me in any way. I was the one who took advantage of her. 
And look, look, I'm sure we can come to some arrangement. Uh, look, next time Joab is discussing promotion in the army, I'll drop a word in his ear on your behalf. We said to ourselves, that, that should probably do it. After all, Uriah is a Hittite, not an Israelite. And he should take the hint, you think. The problem is that David knows that Uriah is a man of integrity. Any appeal to self-interest is going to be water off a duck's back as far as Uriah is concerned. No. This is going to take guile. What David needs to do is to get Uriah to go down to his house and spend some time with Bathsheba as soon as possible. And as we've already noted, nowhere does the story ever say, why does David want Uriah to go home and spend some time with his wife as soon as possible? I, I wonder what the motivation could possibly be. I mean, you could interpret that in any way you like, couldn't you? No, you can't. <laughs> the story is nudging us to understand what is not stated. So then, we have plan A. David greets Uriah as a fellow man of the world, and he says to him in uh, verse 8, he says, go down to your house, Uriah, and uh, wash your feet. Now, maybe I should explain just something here. Um, as you probably know, the Old Testament normally calls a spade a spade, but, but not always. And on occasions, the word feet is used as a euphemism for other parts of the human anatomy, if you get my drift. So David is saying, look, come on, Uriah. How stupid do you have to be not to see what I'm getting at? Well, Uriah is not stupid, but he'll have to do better than that because we read that that night, Uriah did not go down to his house but he slept with David's servants in the palace. And the next morning, Uriah gives the reason why he did not go down to his house. In verse 11, Uriah said to David, Look, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths in the open land and with the army. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. How can Uriah enjoy the, the comforts of home and Bathsheba's warm embrace when his colleagues are roughing it out in enemy territory? Come to think of it, David, 
How can you? And another thing, David, why does it take a Hittite to remind you about commitment, integrity, and faithfulness? So then, it'll have to be plan B. And plan B is no cozy man-to-man chat. No, this is a palace party in which Uriah's glass is filled as soon as he's drained it. Alcohol will soon get rid of his principles. And yet we read, once again, Uriah did not go down to his house. Why? Because Uriah, drunk, has more principles than David, sober. That's why. And that's a great pity, Uriah. That's a great pity, Uriah, because it means it will have to be plan C. And plan C could have been avoided if you just swallowed your principles, gone down to your house. So the plot is hatched then. It's ruthless, it's callous. Uriah must die, and other people will have to die too if this is going to look like an accident. Joab will take care of that. So while Uriah is on his way, if you notice in the story, carrying his own death warrant in his hand. We're not sure if Uriah could read or not. But if you don't want anybody to read that, what is the best play, who is the best person to give it to? A man of integrity who will not read somebody else's correspondence. Uriah goes off carrying his own death warrant in his hand. And as he does so, um, let's reflect a little bit on uh, why these things happened. They happen for the same reason they happen in our world and they, re- they happen in our lives and they happen in my life too. Uriah dies because David wants him to die, because David has plotted and calculated and schemed his death. There was nothing inevitable about any of this. This whole train of events could have been stopped in its tracks. The minute David had seen Bathsheba, he could have looked the other way, but he chose not to. When he learned that she was a married woman, he could have said, okay then, let's leave it. But he chose not to. When Bathsheba sends him word, I'm pregnant, David could have called Uriah and confessed and looked, Uriah, look, it was like this. But he chose not to. And when Uriah repeatedly, on principle, refuses to go down to his house, David could have said to Uriah, okay, Uriah, you're obviously a person of greater integrity than I am. Look, what can we do about this? But he chose not to. And as he sees Uriah riding out through the city gates, holding his own death warrant in his hand, David could have said, 
stop. But he chose not to. And because he chose not to, we read this, verse 16 and 17. As Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. David has been wanting the death of Uriah for some time. And yet this story deliberately delays and delays and delays that news getting back to David. We're told things we already know, we're told things we don't need to know in order to delay and delay the moment when David hears Uriah is dead. To underline for us as readers of this story, dear reader, take note of this. This is what you've been waiting for. And so we get there, almost at the end of the story, verse 25, when David hears that Uriah's dead, David said to the messenger, thus shall you say to Joab, do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. And so we reach the point at which we started. These things happen. It is interesting if you take the time to see how the end of the story here is written literally. What we have translated here as do not let this matter displease you, literally, in the original Hebrew, literally it is, do not let this matter be evil in your eyes. Do not let this matter be evil in your eyes. That's what David says. God's response, the final line of this story, but the, at the end of uh, the chapter, final sentence in the chapter, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Literally, what the Hebrew has there is this. The thing that David had done was evil in the eyes of the Lord. The thing that David had done was evil in the eyes of the Lord. You see the contrast? David says, do not let this matter be evil in your eyes, but the thing that David had done was evil in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, when David says, look, these things happen, God says, no, they don't. They don't just happen. And it's never a fact that injustice just happens. And this story that we've been looking at is a story of injustice from beginning to end. It's injustice for Bathsheba, who's seen, got, used, and abused. It's injustice for Uriah, whose loyalty David throws back in his face. It's injustice for those troops who had to die just to make this look like an accident. So let's not trivialize the story of David as one which is simply saying that his devotional life could have been a little stronger. It's far more serious than that. This is a story of injustice from beginning to end. 
And all of this injustice, every last scrap of it, the, the sexual exploitation, the adultery, the murder, the barefaced scheming, the barefaced lies, every last scrap of it, David dismisses with a wave of his hand. These things happen. And of course, that's a common ploy that many of us might use. When we see or hear on the news yet one more example of injustice in the world, whether it's refugees from war-torn countries drowning in the Mediterranean, people trafficking in Eastern Europe, bonded uh, workers little better than slaves in some parts of Asia, just as a coping, coping mechanism as we watch it, sometimes you might simply say, well, these things happen. And we can do that because those examples are large and distant and don't affect us here. But I must say it's also an excuse I find myself falling into as a typical Western consumer. Uh, if I give uh, one or two mundane examples, which are not intended to trivialize this, but to show how matters do affect us in our lives. When I hear that still in 2016, still much of the world's chocolate production depends upon child labor. When I learn that in Ecuador, 20% of all the male workers on banana plantations in Ecuador become infertile because of the chemicals used in banana production. Well, I say to myself, as I bite into my chocolate chip banana muffin, these things happen. Do not let this matter trouble you. Do not let this be evil in your eyes. These things happen. But if there's one thing this story of David, Bathsheba, and Uriah tells us, it is that they don't. Injustice in this world doesn't just happen. It happens because either we want it to happen, we do nothing to stop it from happening, or we're satisfied with these things happen. David says, Exactly that. Yeah, these things happen. And God says, no, they don't. They don't. They don't. They don't just happen. Not here in the story of David, Bathsheba, and Uriah, nor with us.